0: Webster University has distinguished itself in many ways, not only locally, but internationally as well. It has campuses all over the world. Webster U's president, Elizabeth Strobel, has just returned from one of them, its campus in Ghana. She joins me in studio to talk about the trip, what she learned, and other issues related to higher education. Beth, thank you for being with us.
1: Well, thank you. It's always great to tell part of the Webster story.
0: And a good story it is, and has been for a good long while. Well, why Ghana? I mean, aside from visiting the campus, why now?
1: Well, I had never visited Africa or Ghana, uh, so this was my first trip to our newest international campus. It's just five years old, so it's still very much in its youth and startup mode. Uh, But why Ghana? Mm. Uh, Africa is an important part of the world, uh, a growing youthful part of the world that faces enormous challenge, uh, but also has tremendous opportunity. You know that we think at Webster that we're educating our students to be global citizens, opening up the world for them that they don't have access to except through Webster, and it's important Mm. to open up Africa to our Webster students.
0: Tell us something about uh, the, the school there in Ghana. What's it like?
1: Uh, So it's relatively small, but it has three buildings. It has an academic building, it has a residence hall, uh, and it has a separate building that's used for staff and and support services. Uh, It's right in the heart of Accra, which is the capital Mm -hmm. of Ghana. Uh, And People know where it is, no matter who I talked with. And Accra is a large city. Uh, Whether I talked with business leaders, um, Ministry of Education, uh, the American Chamber of Commerce, or the embassy, they all knew exactly where our buildings um, are located. And they're truly beautiful. They're sort of a sky blue color, uh, and they stand out from the landscape. Only 150 students, is that yes, correct? Yes, that's, that's where it is right now, and mm-hmm. we clearly have ambition and aspiration to grow more, and there's a need for us to grow more. Mm. Uh, there's tremendous need in Ghana uh, for education that helps Ghanaian citizens stay where they are and not have the expense and perhaps the brain drain for the country when they leave the country to get an education.
0: It's, uh, it's my impression that the secondary school system in Ghana is good, okay, yes. at least, but that's where it stops.
1: Well, they have invested as a government strongly in secondary education. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most African nations have invested <clears throat> in elementary, and Ghana has upped their investment and really turned uh, funds that they may have at once used for higher education to the secondary level. It's a strategic investment on Mm -hmm. their part. But what it means is that then they have built a tremendous appetite for higher education and a need for it. And the public universities are simply at capacity. Mm -hmm.
0: Tell me something about the the youngsters who are attending the school and, and the kinds of things that they're interested in.
1: Well, they are interested in being leaders. Mm. They are entrepreneurial. uh, They are ambitious. They're bright. uh, And they're very personable. Mm. Uh, So one young man, uh, I'll mention his name, Samuel Corley. Uh, I met him several years ago when he was first starting as a Webster Ghana student when he began to do study abroad. He understood that Webster opened doors for him to know the world by doing study abroad with Ghana as his base. So I met him in Athens. I met him in the United States. I would keep seeing him on my visits Mm. to various um, campuses. So when I visited the Accra campus this um, November, I was delighted that he joined us for the alumni event because he is a graduate now. He had the opportunity After graduation, to take a job in New York City working for Amazon Prime because he's a bright, talented young man. And he chose instead to stay in Ghana because he said, Ghana needs me here. And I'm going to build the base of my leadership and my business career right here. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, if you would, uh, tell us a little bit about Accra. I think there's a temptation on the part of a lot of people here to think of it's a third-world country, and it has a third-world look, and it's probably always going to be that way.
1: Uh, that is interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and I will say that I had imperfect understandings of Accra and probably still do. Uh, but certainly there are extremes in Accra. Mm-hmm. There are high-end luxury hotels. Uh, There are very modern, up-to-date office buildings, uh, and it would look like any major metropolis in many ways. There's a lot of external investment in Accra by many countries, not only the United States. On the other hand, I visited an NGO called Basics International that is serving the local population in an area called Chokor. And in this part of Ghana, uh, in Accra, uh, there is electricity but no running water. Uh, So the local people are mostly fishermen. Uh, They go out to sea. They bring in fish. uh, They sell them that day, and they go back out and do the same the next day. And this particular NGO is focused on keeping young children in school to make sure that they succeed. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there are extremes indeed, um, and there are third world aspects, but it's a growing economy, and it's mineral rich.
0: What kind of backgrounds generally do the kids who are attending the, uh, the university there come oh, from?
1: Well, they come from mm-hmm. nine different countries. Uh, oh, so they are it's most, not all Ghanaian. It's not all Ghanaian. Ah, okay. uh, so it's a recruiting site for West Africa. Uh, and in sub-Saharan uh, Africa, there is a growing investment by private education. So in Ghana, we are the only U.S. university to have a bricks-and-mortar facility where we offer full degrees start to finish. Uh, But among the Ghanaian universities, uh, the market share for private universities from various countries is 30 percent. So this is a growing opportunity for universities to meet the Ghanaian need. What does it cost to attend? Oh, well, what does it cost to attend? I'm not sure that I have that figure in well, my I, I'm mind. only
0: asking because that is such an issue in this oh, country. <clears> oh, <throat> well,
1: we discount mm-hmm. there. We give scholarships. And we have a payment plan. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we have had to bring the scholarship um, level up, and we've had to bring the tuition level down. And it would be the same as in the U.S. Uh, We have one price that may be the posted price, and then for each student we meet them where they are to make sure that it can happen. And certainly the price that you pay for tuition in Accra is much less than it is in Geneva, Switzerland. Mm.
0: But do you learn anything through a project like this that might help to make college a little more affordable in this country oh, and easier on the students oh, and their ab- parents?
1: Absolutely. <clears throat> you learn that partnerships matter, uh, partnerships matter in terms of internships and guaranteed employment when people finish. And partnerships matter in that corporate entities are willing to invest in helping to fund people's tuition uh, because they need employees with that skill set. That would be true right here in Webster Groves, and it would be just as true in Accra. Well,
0: is any of this really going on?
1: Yes. Oh, yes, Absolutely. Yes. Well,
0: well, tell me more about that vis a vis Webster and, and any of other, the others you can think of.
1: Okay. Well, I would say that uh, depending on who a student is here, hmm. let's say on Webster Groves, probably 80 some percent of our undergraduates have funding that comes from private scholarship donors. Hmm. Uh, So at Webster University, we have put a real focus on saying to our friends and donors, if you wish to support us, please support it through scholarships. Mm -hmm. Because we know that while students are most likely going to need to support some part of their program with loans, it's better if they get grants Mm -hmm. and scholarships because then, of course, those don't get paid back. It's an investment in those young people for a lifetime. But if we're talking about graduate students – many of their employers help to fund their ongoing education and development, if not in full, at least in Mm -hmm. part.
0: Is there any kind of an exchange program that uh, you you work on with regard to Kids from this part of the world going to Ghana, for instance, oh, or we, other places. You yeah, many campuses.
1: Oh, we sure do. So about 20% of our undergraduates currently do study abroad for a semester. Uh, and we've started coming up with what we call short-term study abroad. Mm. So you maybe go to Ghana just during fall break or just during the holiday mm. break or just during spring break so that it works in your class schedule, it's more affordable, and you get a focused 10 days or two weeks there. And the rest of the course is taught online or where your current course is. So we have students from Ghana coming here. We have students from Ghana going to our campuses in Europe. And we have students from here going to Ghana and to our other places. It's part of being educated uh, in the global economy.
0: Why is this so important?
1: There is nothing more informative about understanding yourself than immersing yourself among people, geography, climate, politics that aren't your own. Mm -hmm. You just learn so much about your own values and principles and biases and shortcomings, and it opens up your curiosity Mm -hmm. about the world, and it helps you make a difference in making the world a better place.
0: How diverse is the campus here in Webster Grove?
1: How diverse is the campus here? About half of our students are um, minority uh, reporting, uh, and that might mean African American. It could also include Hispanic and Asian. uh, And certainly Mm -hmm. we Mm -hmm. host um, probably several hundred um, international students in any given year, depending upon um, kind of desire and what's happening in visa regulations. Mm -hmm.
0: How did uh, the institution become involved so heavily in international Mm. education?
1: Well, I can give you just some defining moments. All right, great. We were founded in 1915. In 1919, we hosted our first two students from France who were sent here by the French government in the um, post-World War relief effort. By the 1930s, We had our first formal exchange programs of faculty and staff going back and forth to various European locations. Mm -hmm. But it was really 1978 that was the big defining moment. That's when we founded the campus in Geneva, Switzerland. So we're celebrating 40 years of having bricks-and-mortar facilities in another European location where students get full degrees.
0: That was visionary on someone's part.
1: It certainly was, and that was certainly just the beginning, and we're proud to be in Europe, Asia, and now Africa.
0: It's uh, it's just am- How many campuses do you have overseas?
1: I would say about 14, uh, yeah. and some of them qualify in the language of full campus, and some of them are, are more... Um, you know, sort of startups and sites.
0: Are they all autonomous? Are you administrating those campuses from Webster Groves? It's instance? all
1: it's all part of Webster University. I'm the president of um, all of those campuses and locations. We operate with one catalog, uh, one approved curriculum. Uh, and that means that any student that starts anywhere can finish somewhere else, and the curriculum's entirely portable.
0: So the curriculum in Ghana is exactly the same as it is here in Webster, It absolutely
1: News? is. So we're accredited in Ghana by the Higher Learning Commission. It's American accredited, but it's also approved and accredited by the Ghanaian government. So people who graduate from Webster, Ghana are going to be well recognized with a Ghanaian approved credential as well as the U.S.
0: How closely do you think the a Ghanaian government is looking at what's going on on that campus with regard to its own future expansion and education?
1: Oh, they seek our success. As uh-huh. I met with the minister for tertiary education in Ghana, he had very good advice for us about what future programs we might offer. Because his desire is for more Ghanaians to get a college education, and if we can meet that local um, capacity and need, um, he seemed to be quite interested. And he, as well as many other educated Ghanaians, have done some of their degree work in the United States, so they value the U.S. perspective.
0: So you think, as a result of your visit to Ghana and other places, that you're going to change the process at all?
1: I think that what we will do, and I understood when we founded Webster Ghana why it was important to be in Africa. Mm -hmm. I understand it with much more depth now, and I have a passion and a commitment for strengthening Webster Ghana and increasing its connection to the rest of Webster.
0: And what do you do to encourage students from other countries, not necessarily from your other campuses, but from other countries, to come to, to Webster?
1: So I think that it's partly um, advertising and marketing, of course, uh, but it's also using relationships and networks. So everywhere I'm going, including with you today, I'm talking about Webster mm-hmm. Ghana. <laughs>
0: In terms of getting those students here, given the the mood of the country today with regard to people coming from other places, does that create any problems for it, you?
1: It has created challenges for mm. us. And that's why Webster's globalization strategy is so comprehensive. Mm. We can't rely on on globalization to be achieved only by bringing students from other places to the U.S. because the political nature of visa approvals means that some Mm. years it's favorable and others less so. Mm. Uh, So it's why we've always pursued a very complex strategy. Um, Global elements in the curriculum, globally diverse faculty and staff, global presence in many locations. Uh, So we really see it as trying to build the relationships both ways, not only people coming here.
0: What kinds of visas do do the foreign students have to have? And and how long are they good for?
1: Well, you know, that's a detail that I'm glad I am not in (laughs) charge of. But, uh, you know, there are certainly student visas that can be renewed for the period of study. uh, And they can also gain, when they come to the us some opportunity to do some practical training after the close of the degree uh, to get an internship and, and maybe a foothold in a career. But uh, these have been challenged over the last few years for every U.S. university.
0: Challenge seems to be a, an operative word these days in, in higher education. Let's talk a little bit about what is going on. What do you see as the, the biggest challenges facing your your business today?
1: The biggest challenge facing our business these days is making it accessible and affordable and assuring that the students you admit are successful and graduate, Uh, because certainly many institutions uh, are quite welcoming to a diverse population. Graduating them, supporting them, building their success on into their careers is as much a part of being a successful institution as the point of welcome and access.
0: You know, um, it it is expensive. Needless to say, I think if I'm correct on this, it's still correct that the amount of debt being carried by students is greater than all auto loans, loan debts combined (laughs) and all credit card debt. Is there any way that you can see to change this? We talked about the partnerships before, and I understand Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. But there are politicians out there who are saying that higher education should be free. I mean, is that ever going to (laughs) happen?
1: Well, you know, I do think that it is an interesting um, conversation that we've had over the last few political campaigns about uh, Mm. whether higher ed should be uh, seen as a a public good or a private good, Uh, I clearly still think that it's the best investment uh, that the country and families can make, uh, but we have to be realistic about that. Uh, So we have certainly moderated um, the kinds of traditional increases that would be made year to year in the tuition. Uh, We know there is a price point beyond which families can't afford us. Uh, We know Uh, that we have to make it possible uh, for students to bring in as much transfer credit as they possibly Mm -hmm. can if they choose to start at a community college, and we actually think that's a good choice if they make that choice. So having great partnerships with our local community colleges so that it's very easy. Start here. We're going to accept everything you bring Bring your good record, and we'll help you finish up in an affordable way.
0: Does Webster have such partnerships? We certainly do. Yeah.
1: We, have pro- we have partnerships with community colleges where a student can apply to us for full admission at the same time they apply to the community college, and if they stay on track, they know they have automatic admission.
0: Mm-hmm. Going back to some of your international campuses, what mm-hmm. kind of assistance do students get in some of those places uh, enabling them to attend uh, Webster. overseas. So,
1: you know, I mentioned Geneva before, and Geneva no. certainly has a rather high cost of living compared to Accra or even um, Chaom Thailand, another one of our locations. Uh, so Geneva has uh, found local donors who have provided scholarships uh, to help scholarship their students. Uh, but you would find that across the world, Uh, that the ability of students and families to pay for higher education varies greatly. Mm. Um, Economies uh, vary from country to country, uh, and students' ability to pay varies as well.
0: Are there any campuses overseas in which the students uh, pay nothing, that the government uh, pays it for them?
1: Um, No. Uh, Mm. In the public universities in Europe – the education is paid for by the government. Hmm. But because we're private, we charge tuition, and tuition is paid for by the individual.
0: Why is it so expensive in this country?
1: There are probably a variety of explanations. Uh, I think that most people who have looked at this would tell you that uh, doing education well um, with highly qualified faculty, um, the kinds of up-to-date facilities that need to be provided uh, is a labor-expensive and labor-intensive operation. Uh, it could be done cheaper, but it won't be done as well.
0: What kind of shape is, uh, is, is Webster in?
1: Well, Webster is weathering the kinds of market challenges that everyone else is, uh, but we're doing quite well, thank you. We're raising money for scholarships, our endowment's growing, uh, and while we've had some Uh, market declines in our graduate education. Right here in St. Louis, we're excessively strong.
0: Is college population across the country uh, going down?
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And particularly in the Midwest, birth rates are down, have been down. Mm -hmm. And so we've reached a point where there are fewer traditional college-going students. And most universities, including Webster, even among undergraduates, non-traditionals, which are really the majority, are the more common student. They're older. They're probably going part-time, if not full-time. They may have families of their own. They're working jobs uh, so that... Population of 18 and 19-year-olds that we tended to think of as being in the dorms and being mm. the majority of college-age um, students, uh, those days are, are not necessarily here mm. anymore.
0: There seems to be a fairly strong effort uh, in other parts of the country and here to, to unionize. Faculty Is that something that Hmm. you're dealing with?
1: That's typically happening um, in public universities, Hmm. much more so than in privates. Uh, But you're absolutely right. Um, The labor movement uh, has taken a direction into more what we would think of as professional lines of work, uh, where once it was stronger in in traditional kind of manufacturing work.
0: Hmm. What kind of uh, balance do you have between... Uh, full professors and adjunct professors at Western. We've
1: always had a very large percentage of adjunct professors since we started serving working adults with um, graduate degrees. Uh, So in the 80s and 90s, when we started offering master's degrees that you could do in the evening, you could do part-time and keep your your day job, uh, we started hiring many more practitioners, and practitioners tend to be people who are adjuncts. Mm -hmm. So depending on the program, Uh, And whether you're an undergraduate or a graduate, it wouldn't be surprising that adjunct faculty who are, you know, fine and qualified people. Mm -hmm. My husband is one, by the way. uh, That proves it right there, right? Are are part of the teaching force and and part of how we meet students' needs with theory and practice.
0: One final question. How do you compete with the other institutions of higher learning in this community?
1: (laughs) Well, so as you can imagine... People that are looking at colleges look at a variety of us. They look at the publics, they look at the privates, and what we know about their choices are, of course, price is always part of the equation, and it should be. Hmm. But they look at, how likely am I to graduate? How likely am I to get a great job at the end of all this? And who are the faculty I'll work most closely with? And oh, by the way, if I care about the world, do I get to do study abroad? And Webster pays your plane ticket to get you overseas to one of our campuses. Uh,
0: there is an incentive. Mm-hmm. I want to thank you so much, Meth Stroll, for being with us. Continue good luck and success at uh, Webster University here and abroad.
1: Thank you so much.
0: It's been great talking to you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.